0: To love and science on bcfm very nice to be back with it's been ages andrew it's been too long i oh, know it's been too long we
1: missed you last week yes yes you've been well, all just... over the place haven't well
0: you? i popped you know what i popped out for a tin of beans <laughs> and i came back three weeks later yeah well, know, i'm glad you came back, this back happens. can you
1: yeah. just give me a list of places you've a been a quick to?
0: itinerary since i've seen you last i think i went to uh uganda
1: well okay
0: as one does, because it's Friday, yeah. and I thought, where shall I go? Yeah. Uganda. So I did that. Um, that was where you sent me the email saying, please, can you do the show? <laughs> <laughs> Friday. Uh, so so that was Uganda. Then um, I went up to, straight from there, from Kampala, up yeah. to um, Asaba, which is beautiful, because it sits, it? well, Kampala itself uh, isn't on Lake Victoria, but Entebbe, which is the next town along, and on the... Uh, which is where the airport is. And the famous, of course, the raid on Entebbe. Yeah. When Idi Amin was president of mm. Uganda, the uh, Israelis swooped in and rescued a uh, load of people who were, who were um, being held by terrorists mm. on the tarmac. And um, that's what people know that for. But it's actually beautiful because it sits there on, on Lake Victoria, which is this enormous inland sea uh in in africa uh then anyway i flew from there up to azerbaijan complete change Mm -hmm. so from the equator up to baku Mm -hmm. uh, which i only know from the um eurovision song contest Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) so that is how how deep my culture goes so it's an amazing city we don't have time to talk about it now but just full of just extraordinary and fascinating buildings Mm -hmm. If the listeners are interested, I went to Manchester for a day. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: not quite well, as exciting.
0: But. You know, Manchester has its charms. I love Manchester. You have yeah. to have a look around, but you can find some charms. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, uh, and then I, I think I was home for a very short time, like 36 hours, and then went to Portugal, which is um, a bit of a second home because I've been, I've been doing workshops in Portugal for many years. Mm. And then uh, straight on to another Portuguese-speaking country, Brazil, Rio de Janeiro. Wow. It was quite... I, I, we, we looked, or rather, I looked at the map where the hotel was. Yeah. And it was right slap bang in an area. On the map it said, do not stay here. <laughs> <laughs> not the hotel. Very, yeah. very nice hotel. Yeah. But the area in which uh, the hotel Did it was. a here be dragons? Do, do, or not, or go, do not go here, it said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, So, yes. Oh, well, I didn't get to see too much of it. But, okay. uh, yeah. Anyway, that so that's me. You've been, what, busy making films? I've been making films, and, podcast, yeah,
1: yeah. About yeah. planets orbiting other stars, about nuclear sludge here on
0: Earth. It's been... It's wondrous. It's been sludgy and also cosmic. I'm very interested to find out about nuclear sludge, but... Let's leave it. Let's leave it. Well, another time. And we are delighted to say that uh, in the studio today we are joined by three rather excellent guests. Um, And um, I must say that um, we're delighted to have Jamie Thacker. Who's, not, who's now, we can say, you're a friend of the show. Do you like that? I am.
2: Epithect,
0: friend of the show. Which people think that means you give us money, but no. No,
2: they, they don't give me money. <laughs>
0: no, you give us money. That's the, no, no, friend of the show. No, but you, um, uh, you've been here, you weren't here so long ago, were you? It wasn't that long ago. No, it and was just the
2: beginning of the month. Do,
0: yeah, to do, uh, talk about Pint of Science. And now we're on the verge the very edge we are. It's, very its about exciting. to break forth on, on, on Bristol culture. So we'll find out a little bit more about that, uh, Jamie, in a bit. And you brought your colleague, uh, Rachel uh, but Sorry, I tried to say that right. botruno
3: botruno
0: Oh, Bertruno. I'm so sorry. Bertruno. Okay. I nearly got it, Rachel. Forgive me. That's and uh, tell us about yourself. What, what is it that you do?
3: Um, so I'm a third year dental student at the University of Bristol.
0: When you go to like family gatherings and things like that, do mm-hmm. people say, "Look, I've just got a bit of a pain, in on the left hand side of my mouth, do you think I've got an ulcer?" Do you have to deal with all that stuff, um, or what, do they not go, "Oh often. no, it's Rachel. Don't ask <laughs> Rachel. She might whip out a pair of pliers or something."
3: No, not too often actually. It's not too <laughs> bad. I think probably once I've qualified, got further in, I might start to see that.
0: How how long is dental training?
3: So it's five years in total.
0: Right okay so it's quite and, you, and, and you, you're a surgeon aren't you when you've finished you kind of you're a, yeah um, a, a, you, you have an actual surgeon's qualification if I'm not mistaken.
3: Uh, yeah so it's uh, the a qualification CH? is Bachelor of Dental Surgery.
0: Yeah yeah, yeah. excellent <laughs> well um, and of course you're here to talk about a pint of science as well yep. so I mean I always think you know bit of dentistry with a pint in your hand. <laughs> that's, the, that's, the way, that's the way it should be done. And we'll come back to you guys uh, very quickly in just a moment. But we've also got um, Sophie uh, Pavel on the programme. And um, a big thanks to Sophie, because you've come all the way up from Exeter I have, uh, yes. today. So it's great to, great <laughs> to see you. Now, I, we, I have to declare an interest here. I know Sophie well, because you and I have spent the last, well, this <laughs> sounds unfair. Yeah, I was going to say we've spent the last nine months together. But in fact, We've been working together on, on the uh, master's program. We have, You've been yes. a student, and I've been trying to uh, guide,
4: impart your wisdom, I
0: impart think. my wisdom. That's the that, that's the very thing in broadcast. So it's great to have you back because you're going to we're going to find out all about a, a project that uh, you're doing uh, in the uh, in the coming weeks. Yes, um, which is going to. Um, you know, get those boots out.
4: Involve rather a long walk, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so we're gonna find out all about that. Just tell us a little bit about yourself though. You you are you've I know you've got a degree in in zoology.
4: Um yes, so um I graduated from Bristol last July, um, in zoology and then since then just sort of spent a lot of time outside, done a bit of travelling, um, and then been on the masters, so yeah, just normal. Doing, doing, doing science communication. Science communication, yes. Yeah, so yeah.
0: Great. Yeah. Okay. Well, as I said, we'll find out uh, more about that in a moment. Let's go back um, to uh, Jamie and Rachel j- j- just for a moment. Um, so just bring us up to date on Pint of Science. I've been saying Pint of Science, Pint of Science, and there may well be um, some people thinking, what, what is he talking about? So what's the, what's the, just remind us of the big idea, Jamie.
2: So Pint of Science is an international festival of science that'll be running from next Monday to Wednesday the 15th to the 17th of May in 65 cities across the world. Um, It's an initiative to bring professors and lecturers and even early career researchers in touch with the public um, in their local city and explain more about what they do. It's to kind of break the divide that we have between the universities and local people who might be interested in what we're up to
0: okay and um the, i noticed I, I, I looked at the program today this morning just before i ca- came on the onto the show and um it's got sold out sold out sold out it really all does, all, doesn't all it? the I'm way at it right so big con- <laughs> big congratulations because obviously Thank it's you. very uh, very successful but give us some um, i don't know if, rachel uh, if you, you, you can give us an idea of some of the Headlines, you know, of, of, of the topics.
3: Yeah, so I'm involved in the Our Body event. Ah. And um, we've got quite a few talks going on. So our first night is uh, titled Saving a Generation. And we're going to have two speakers who, through their research, has managed to save, I'm not sure the quantity, but many lives um, through their research. Um, and then we've also got a sponsored event for Kidney Research. Another two speakers, and then our final night is on um, healthy lifestyle. So we've wow. got a range for the whole.
0: Yeah. Um, when you say your your event is, what what is it that you have to do yourself?
3: Um, so we have monthly uh, meetings with the Pine of Science Society. Yeah. And, um, and I- I'm in a group with four others, and um, it's right from the start when we had to decide what our event was going to be on. So we had the tie to our body, um, but we sort of um, decided what what that would contain um and then we went through getting speakers um, getting them to send out their blurbs making sure they knew where they were going um for the event and then um more recently it's just been advertising the event
0: now why why from your point of view is it important to do this um, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? Because mm. I, I love, I mean, I love the idea of the pint of science. It sounds all very nice and relaxed and so. On. But why why do you bother to do this?
3: Um, well, I'm just really enthusiastic about science, and obviously dentistry is getting quite focused on the teeth now. <laughs> um, so it's nice um, for us to be able to learn as well. But also, like Jamie said about the divide, um, so it's nice to know that members of the public can. Um, learn about the scientific research and we, by being involved in pipe science, we have a say and what they can learn about over the days.
4: You're listening to Love and Science on BCFM Radio.
0: We've got uh, guests in the studio. Andrew and I uh, are very pleased to welcome Jamie Thacker, uh, Rachel uh, uh, (laughs) Botruno and uh, uh, Sophie Pavel. So we've been talking about Pint of Science and we've learnt... uh, that's a very nice, relaxed way to find out about science. Um, m- many of your events are sold out. Uh, there's, if you want to go to one, there's, a, there's an exciting one that we want to uh, talk about, which I think it's called Saving the Generation. Uh, Jamie, Tell us a little bit about about that, because there's still a chance for people to get tickets to go there.
2: Yes, exactly. So this event is happening next Monday at Eldon House in Clifton, um, which is a small pub just off the Triangle, and it will be happening on Monday evening next week. We do still have some tickets available for this one. Um, And it's a really interesting set of talks organised by Rachel and her group, And um, the first part of the evening will be given by Professor Andrew Whitelaw, who's a professor of neonatal medicine, who's been involved in a really interesting study that they call the baby head cooling study. Um, It's actually part of um, an overall study called TOBY, which is total, um, total body hypothermia. And what they do in this particular study is they've looked at ch- babies who have perinatal asphyxia, so they're deprived of oxygen just prior to birth, during birth, or just after birth.
0: Right, which is something we hear of. It's quite common, isn't it? Or, or well, it's, yeah, it's not so very th- common. But it, but but you, you you often hear it talked about.
2: It is, and. Um, every, I think, two in 1,000 births um, can suffer long-term consequences due to perinatal asphyxia, and what um, Professor Whitelaw and his colleagues have been doing um, for several years now is um, investigating how actually cooling these babies down immediately after birth from their normal body temperature of about 37 degrees to to 33.5 degrees, so it's not a huge drop, it's about 3.5 degrees, can actually reduce Really improve any cognitive symptoms, um,
0: right? So you're talk- talking about brain damage, really? Yeah. So yeah.
2: often, so it's one of the, I think 30% <clears throat> of cerebral palsy cases are actually caused by perinatal asphyxia. Yeah. And what they've done is they've examined these children at 18 months, and then more recently, again at age six and seven, and they've actually showed that 20% sorry, 12% um, more children actually survive with healthy brain function having undergone the cooling therapy.
1: That's, that's- I mean, that is really amazing, isn't it? I think that's one of the wonderful things about Pant of Science is that somebody like that is doing that work right here in Bristol, and we can go and listen to them yeah. talk, have a chat with them, ask them questions, really get into the depths of what they're doing. And that's a wonderful work happening right here in Bristol.
0: Yeah. It's yes, amazing. it really is. It's
2: fantastic.
0: Yeah. Uh, and uh, if people want to go to this, uh, what, do, what do they do next?
2: So if you do want to attend this event, um, go to um, pintofscience.co.uk and have a look in the Bristol section, and it's the very top one listed, Eldon House, Our Body, Monday 15th of May.
0: All right. Thank you very much. So um, we're, uh, we'll talk perhaps a bit more about point of science as the as as the show yes, goes please. on. Yes, we <laughs> Definitely do that. But we we're, we're going to we're going to move on uh, now to. Uh, Say hi again to uh, Sophie uh, Pavel, who's uh, here she is with her walking sticks (laughs) and her boots and uh, all her gear. No, not really. You've just come up up from Exeter today, so uh, you didn't need all that stuff. But you will soon, because in June uh, you're embarking on a 300-mile expedition around the entire coast of Cornwall. I have to say, if you'd said to me, how long do you think the coast of Cornwall is... I wouldn't have thought I, I thought, yeah, it's it's quite a way. Three hundred miles. No,
4: I I was very surprised when I looked at the map. I thought it was probably maybe a hundred yeah. Well, 150, but not 300. But yeah. I think when you sort of stretch it out on a flat surface, it... Well, that's the thing, because yeah. you're going
0: in and out. I mean, Cornwall is very bit fjordy, isn't it? It so is not it So you're yeah. going in and out and in and out. And away and, and down. And up and down. <laughs> and Yes, that's right. Well, some of my favourite walking places are in, mm. are in Cornwall from times gone by. Yeah. So is there
1: actually a coastal path all the way?
4: There is, yeah. So yeah. it forms part of the um, southwest coast path, which is Britain's longest national trail. Cool. So that runs from from... from Minehead um, all the way to uh, somewhere sort of in Poole, like down, I think. I think it might even be Poole. In Dorset. Dorset, Yeah, Yeah. so Dorset to north sort of Exmoor. But is it just
0: just Cornwall you're going to do?
4: So I'm doing Cornwall. So Cornwall is the longest section of the path and it also seemed the most obvious section to do because it sort of sticks out on its own and Cornwall is kind of a wonderful microcosm of kind of precious environments and wildlife and sort of things going on. I almost feel like it's like... What's often referred to as like the, the forgotten corner of England in many ways because it's sort of out literally on a limb from yeah. everywhere else.
0: So the walk you're doing is called Sophie's Wild Cornwall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, uh, one's tempted to make jokes about you ducking into pubs and drinking too much, yeah. but it's not. It's not about that. It's actually about the about wildlife. Yeah. You'll, you'll see. So tell, I mean, tell us the why are you doing it? What is the basic plan?
4: Um, so it form it's forming part of my um, master's dissertation. So my master's is in science communication, um, and I wanted to do something that was a bit different and perhaps reflect reflected a bit more of what I'm interested in and what I'm passionate about um so I've always been interested in kind of being adventurous and getting outside and kind of being a bit gutsy and um I just thought you know why not is there a way that I can marry the two together um so, so
0: I was going. I, I mean, uh, the obvious thing to ask you is whether or not you've been doing. Uh, this is the sort of thing you often do. That I mean, not not obviously not. You don't go walking three hundred miles <laughs> no. every, every other month, but um, that you do a lot. Do you do a lot of walking? Um, and, and that I've kind of I've thing?
4: done quite a bit in the past. Yeah, yeah. family holidays. We've done sort of fairly um, challenging alpine expeditions, and um, I've done quite a lot of walking at home. Sort of various cha- local challenges and things. Um. um yeah, oh. so it's something I, I'm I, I'm really keen on and it's I don't really have many other girlfriends who are kind of into it as much as I am. I mean, everyone likes a walk, but this is kind of on another level. Yes. Isn't it? In yeah, a way. it is. It really
1: is. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> kind of understaking it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what kind of wildlife do you expect to see when you're out
4: there? Um, Well, I mean, I think June is probably one of the best times to go because you've got the basking sharks who are kind of coming back into that area. Mm. They kind of come back in the summer and they like the sort of clear, calm waters around some of the inlets in Cornwall. Um, there's always a good... Um, out of grey seals and harbour porpoises and also in june there'll be um a chance of peregrine falcons breeding in protected areas so um mm-hmm. if i get a chance to see that i you know i'd be really happy but um the main focus of the walk is to kind of i'll be streaming the whole thing online um, via social media so instagram twitter facebook um, and i'm really keen to see whether the walk co- kind of forms a, a practical piece of science communication so whether social media can be used to communicate messages about conservation and wildlife and the environment and geology and things like that
0: Mm. so i mean i I imagine you you don't quite know what you're going to do until you do it to some extent because (laughs) you'll you'll maybe meet you know see something and Mm. then you'll have to decide the best way Mm. do you photograph it is it too quick for you to photograph Mm. you know that sort of thing Mm. and then decide quite how you will is that is that that right
4: yes i mean i'm doing um a fair bit a fair bit of planning before i go um because i want to kind of have a sort of vague idea of what i what i should expect to see for example when i'm down on the lizard i should hope to see a lot and that's when you get a lot of the sort of marine mammals Mm. down there um but yeah i mean the wonderful thing about social media is that it often captures the sort of impulsive nature of our behavior in a way Mm. so if i was walking along and Doing a bit of a video, and then I suddenly see a peregrine falcon, or even ideally a basking shark, you know, to get my reaction. People love watching, you know, sort of yeah, yeah. real reaction that's not edited, that's not kind of mm. um, styled up in a way. Yeah. So I'm wondering whether that might be more effective in sort of getting people back outside and into the yeah. outdoors. So. Yeah.
1: You're actually going to be filming the whole time, is that?
4: N- um, not the whole time. I mean, ideally, I'd quite like to. Um, have some sort of idea of what i'm going to film and then maybe do a bit of a vlog in the day of what i see i'm sure some days will be very boring and dull and i won't see much um and then maybe edit it down into like one one and a half minutes and then upload it in the evening very kind of loosely edited rough and ready and just say oh today i came across uh, a peregrine falcon or a few gray seals or a harbour porpoise and you know this is what i saw or perhaps if it wasn't filmable if i just took a nice photograph and sort of yeah. said something about it
0: and have your friends been queuing up to share bits of the journey with you
4: they ha- actually they have which has been really nice because it's um a lot of people seem quite keen to join me um so i've got i've got my parents joining me for a couple <laughs> of Oh, <things. laughs> very good With um, their
0: alpine sticks oh yes, yes my
4: dad is very much into the kind of the <laughs> nordic walking <laughs> um yeah and a few friends so it's quite nice because it seems like this is something that people do genuinely sort of quite like to see and I've been overwhelmed by the positive response that I've had towards it so I've just got to do it now
2: yeah,
0: and, a key, <laughs> and, and just go, go back to the pint of science mm. uh, uh, people uh, J- J- Jamie and uh, uh, Rachel um <coughs> uh, is this a, is this the sort of thing you could you could put on you know could you could you could you do the kind of thing uh, that Sophie's doing as a, as a pint of science event, do you think?
2: Yeah, definitely. We're always interested to hear from new people who are doing essentially what is research um, in mm. Bristol. So, yeah, um, yeah that would be really exciting. So bit, Sophie, call me next year.
1: Yeah, I was
0: going <laughs> to yeah. say, it's a bit, 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 late, bit late for this year, but maybe, may, may, maybe next year. Um, Sophie, if people want to um, uh, get involved in this Ooh. and actually watch what you're doing yeah. and all of that, what, 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 do you, what do you say to them?
4: Um, so I have a website, um, it's a Wix site called Sophia's Wild Cornwall, um, or, and from there you can have direct links to my Facebook page, which is also called Sophia's Wild Cornwall. It's a public page, and on there you can access my Twitter and my Instagram. Um, so I'll be pre- I'll be doing stuff and showing funny videos and photos across those um, platforms,
0: and and also uh, I, I can see that you're actually raising money for two charities mm. as well aren't you just tell just tell yeah. us a little bit about so that.
4: um i'm really pleased to be raising money for two amazing but very different environmental charities that are both based down in cornwall so the first one is cornwall wildlife trust um which has been running for i think it's got over 50 nature reserves it's running for something like 50 years and they have a huge impact down there and then also Surface against sewage um which uh do all sorts of amazing work like beach cleans and protecting the coastlines from plastic which is a huge issue at the moment yes um, but yeah so i'm raising money for those charities as well
0: and well look we wish you the very best uh, with it you. we know you're staying with us for the rest of the yeah. show which is, which is good <laughs> we're going to look at some science in the news it's about time it's about yeah. time we did that actually we have been looking at what's in the news because pint of science is in the news in bristol and sophie pavell's walk around cornwall is, is going to be in the news quite soon, uh, in, the, in, the, in the science news. At least on this show it will yeah. be. We'll make it? sure it is. Kind of effectively in the news because we were talking, yeah, about, we're it, talking yeah. about it. Yeah, we are talking about it. It is by definition. Uh, now we're going to some uh, big stuff, uh, talking about um, the next-door planet, Mars. Oh, yeah. It, th- th- there's some you say next-door. It's next-door. Well, you know, compared to some others. <laughs> OK. Um, it turns out... There's some research, researchers are speculating. There's a bit of a problem, isn't there? We, we now know quite a lot about the composition, the chemical composition of Mars. Yeah. And it's very not like us. It's not. It's, it's alien in many ways, isn't it? And so there's some interesting implications.
1: Yes. Uh, the, the, the prevailing theory at the moment is called the Grand Tack Model. That's not important. What's important is that what it says is that the rocky planets, so Venus, Mars specifically Venus, Mars, Earth and Mercury, formed around the same area in the earliest part of the solar system formation, which is 4.56 billion years ago, give or take. And um, if you think back then, there was all this stuff, all this dust and rock and matter floating around Mm -hmm. our sun. And as it came together to form the planets, um, well, the theory is that all that stuff was in a particular place in the, round about where we are now actually in, in relation to the sun and it formed what? into planets in Bristol, yeah, just in Bristol, right, and also all the places you've just been. <laughs> no, in, in terms of the the Earth in relation to the right, sun. okay, um, so it's kind of orbit, yeah, yeah, and that would make sense. You would think that mm. makes sense when when we do the computer models. I say we; it's uh, humans rather than me and my friends. Um, they <laughs> they <laughs> do models of the uh, how the solar system was formed. Um, most of them suggest that it must be that the rocky planets were formed around the same part of the solar system. But there is this problem, mm. which is that they're not made of the same stuff. There are s- mm. significant dis- differences, between, certainly between Earth and, and Mars.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it, different isotopes of oxygen and that sort of thing. That's right. what we're talking about. It's, yeah. not, it's not that alien. But, so, but you would think that they would have the same... They would yeah. be made up of the same matter if yeah. they were made in the same place. Yeah. So there's a new uh, theory, which is um, that it was formed much further out, about round about where the asteroid belt is, which is between where Mars and Jupiter is now, and then was forced in by the Jupiter. The, the idea is that Jupiter... That's uh, going all over the place here. A bit mm. like the early solar system yeah. formation. <laughs> so as Jupiter moved in towards the sun in the early <clears throat> formation of the solar system, it, it came closer and closer in towards the sun. And in, many, in in most simulations, it acts as a kind of snowplow, moving all the matter in together. So, and that's why it starts to gather together into planets in a particular place, because the gravitational yeah. pull has moved it. yeah but in this could still be the case but mars would have been formed further out by um, on its own not along with venus and mars and earth and then jupiter coming in and then going back out again because it's tugged back out again by saturn then that, that kind of i just love thinking about this stuff you know all yeah, these yeah. Pl- all these planets yeah, yeah. protoplanets moving around Four point five six billion years ago, and eventually settling down into the position we are. What I should say is that this is, when they do these uh, simulations. It's only two percent of the times so that it works that Mars comes in from out, uh, out near the asteroid belt and goes right.
0: into its. its so, if space. you model this in a computer, yeah. it, it yeah. doesn't always. Uh, no, it's only two percent of the time, light, but like it right.
1: makes it does make sense in terms of the composition of what the planets are made of. Right. Up. Okay. The, the, there's one way we can test this. Uh, and that's that we need to know what Venus is made right. of.
0: Go to the other neighbour. Yeah, mm. and
1: unfortunately there are no plans to
0: go to Venus. And no, well, quite wise as well. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. we could send robotic um, probes to could
0: company I think the first time we sent a probe to Venus, it melted. Yeah. yeah which, wasn't, which wasn't expected. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. it's
1: expected now, so we've yes. got a bit better this yes.
0: time. So, it's quite funny, isn't it, because uh, in, in um, early literature about Venus, it was thought this was a probably i think c.s lewis wrote about it. he called it per- perilandra and it's this beautiful place mm. some kind of utopian place mm. and um we thought that if we it might it might be an alternative to earth of course all that all that sort of science fictiony stuff yeah. uh, associated with it and it turns out to be ghastly yeah I mean, it rains sulfuric acid, it's yeah. super hot. Yeah, and as my daughter Lyra
1: often says to me, I don't want to go to Venus study, it's very smelly.
0: <laughs> it's very, very smelly, yeah. yeah. But why, just uh, before we move on from this, why would going to Venus tell us... Uh, because uh, then we would know the composition
1: of, of Venus, so we'd be able to compare that composition to Earth and to Mars, ah, and see. Right. Okay. You know, then we'd be able to tell where they were made. And I suppose to a certain extent Mercury, but maybe that's not... so Venus
0: attention. may be a sort of a twi- made at the same same yeah. sort of time and the same sort of place as us. It's just unfortunately d- yeah, closer. Yeah, I suppose
1: to- uh, equally it could have been at the same time as Mars. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's that's why we need to send okay. stuff there. I'll volunteer. Depends how the election goes.
0: So, so we should stress. That this is a, uh, this is a theory, yes. and, but it is a problem to be solved. Venus is not like Earth in terms of its chemical composition. Yeah. So yeah. what are we going to do? All right. Okay, well, look, let's move on. There's a, there's a, there's a sad story, uh, fellows, guys, in the, in, the, in the news, which is all about a whale full mm. of PCB chemicals. And if anybody has seen this, wants to pick, pick up on this... Um, a whale called a killer whale called Lulu, mm. and um, it turns out uh, this is a story which I think um, Rebecca Morell r- ran with uh, for the uh, BBC. One of the UK's last killer whales was contaminated with shocking levels of toxic uh, chemicals, um, and the problem with these PCBs is that actually we stopped using them a long time ago. Mm. Which implies, doesn't it, that they're, they're still out there. And um, so uh, the story is that this animal called Lulu was found dead on the Isle of Tiree in Scotland last year. Uh, she became entangled in fishing lines. Uh, and scientists have been running tests on her, have found these chemicals called poly- polychlorinated biphenyls, or PCBs. Um, and in fact, she has the highest level in her body ever recorded. I
2: know, it's unbelievable. So I think the safest level, well, the level at which... Um, killer whales have been known to have psychological problems was something like 20 to 40 migs per kg, that's milligrams per kilogram right. of PCB in their system. Yeah. And I think what they found in Lulu was, I think, was it seven, 700 or 7,000? 7, it was definitely more than 20 to 40.
0: It was tw- 20 times higher than the safe level it's Unbelievable um, that you'd expect um, for uh, cetaceans, which is animals like whales, yes. Uh, to be able to manage
2: Because normally orcas, killer whales they're too clever to get trapped in nets Um, and what's actually happening is PCB is affecting their psychology and it's disorientating, what they think is happening is disorientating these whales and so actually even though Lulu, she was quite old wasn't she? Um, Yes was, he, was she in her 70s? Um,
0: I would have to check that, but I she, think was, she was she was 70s. a much older animal, yeah.
2: And um, what, they've, what they found is that over time it's actually built up in her system. So even though we don't use PCBs anymore, they're absorbed by lower marine biology, by planktons and things like that. And they sort of get more and more concentrated up the marine food chain
0: and of course now we're talking aren't we about uh, you know banning things like microplastics and things which are found in in uh, certain um certain products uh, and and other things and and um, w- we forget that that actually the time has already passed mm. before these things will do damage because even if they're out there already in the environment in the oceans mm. um uh, Even if we stop using some of these things now, today, Mm. it's going to have an impact maybe in 20 years' time.
2: Well, what's frightening was that that particular population of whales, I think they're off the coast of Scotland, there have been no new births in 25 years. Um, which really? is unbelievable. Mm, so it's a population of about eight, and it stayed a population of eight, and now they've lost Lulu. Oh, that's an effect um,
1: of these PCBs as well, is it?
2: This mm. is what they think. Yeah, yeah. Um, they think they're actually... They've not been able to examine the ovaries of many of them, um, but they think that this is causing some kind of developmental problem, mm. stopping them from procreating. And
4: Well, and also what, what's worrying is that Um, killer whales are an apex predator so they're right at the very top of the food chain and so if something happens to them and they start dying out then that affects the whole sort of knock-on balance of the trophic the trophic kind of organisation of the marine food web um and it's the same thing with sharks as well. That They're very, very vulnerable when they ingest all these things that have ingested chemicals and microplastics. Yes. yes. It starts to affect everything.
0: So they're eating smaller fish mm. or maybe plankton mm. or other kinds of things mm. and, and, and just concentrating them mm. in themselves. Is that is that what you mean?
4: Yeah. And then, I, and then I guess as they sort of work their way up, they kind of get more and more concentrated and saturated. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, it's just it's really all aw- and i think the u.s has been better at enforcing bans
1: yeah yeah, so yeah. has been yeah it's okay <laughs> um it's, well, uh, sophie's suffering from a cold we yeah. should you're very say bad <clears so> throat> throat> you're you're you're, you're doing very well you're doing yeah. very well oh, so moving on. <laughs> it, it's on. It, um, i'm going to state the blindingly obvious here i think but th- it doesn't <laughs> this suggest to me that we need well, doesn't it suggest to everybody that we need to uh, be t- focusing our research on the effect that what the the chemicals and mm. the pesticides and everything that we're using And now.
4: the longevity of yeah. them
1: as well. And I mean, if these were banned in the 70s and they're still having an effect mm. on the population now, then we really need to be you know, focusing mm. on doing some some of this research on this. I mean, dentistry and 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 stuff is great, but you know, I, I <laughs> t-
0: killer whales have got teeth as uh, well. I can't yes. concentrate
1: on them. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you say
0: this now, but you wait till you have a toothache <laughs> uh, in the middle of the night, yeah. and oh, you yeah. can't wait for the dentist oh. to be open in the morning. Okay. Yes. No, but it's absolutely true. I mean, mm. this is this is incredible. So, sorry to pick on stuff. dentistry. <laughs> it's just because you're sitting.
2: There. Well, I think the problem is that with with PCB this. Much of it just left in um, in landfill, um, and no one really knows what to do with it so in the u s they 've been a bit better about processing it like like Sophie said, but any initiatives we 've had now to kind of stop it. Being produced and being used is, is has been fine, but actually, what's already existing and kept in in landfill needs to be got rid of much quicker because mm. it's seeping into the oceans and causing these issues. And it's quite
4: ironic because they were made, they were designed to be so hardy and have such a long life and to be so indestructible because they were using things like plastics. So they didn't want them to sort of biodegrade and stuff, mm. which is now. You know, they, they obviously didn't think about, oh, what happens when we waste them? Yes. Because they have such a huge longevity in the environment. And now yes. we're only just seeing, I think we've only just scratched the surface of the effects yes. that they can do.
0: Yes. Oh, wow. Well, that's a, it's a rather depressing story, but it just underlines the fact when you're talking about policy, we need to th- really uh, think in the long term. Uh, that may, may be one of the, sat- one of the positive uh, spin-offs from this story is that, uh, uh, a few policy makers will take it seriously. That would be nice, wouldn't, wouldn't it? it? Wouldn't that be nice? Uh,
1: alternatively, we'd build <laughs> a massive spaceship out of PCBs and fly <laughs> off to Venus.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, there's another story uh, in the news, which is also... It's, it's rather another, uh, another one of these uh, environmental stories that's a pause for thought, really, um, that, uh, and I think this is from Helen Briggs uh, at the uh, um, at BBC Science and Environment, um, that the use of common pesticides in spring, in springtime, could have an impact on wild bum- bumblebees by interfering with their life cycle. Uh, a team who looked at wild bumblebees caught in the English countryside say there's an insecticide. It's called Fire um, uh, Methoxam, and it reduces egg development in queen bees. And they say it's likely to reduce bee populations later this year. Anybody seen this story? Yeah. Um, it's, mm-hmm. a, 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 again, it's looking um, looking a bit grim. The, the EU apparently restricts the use of. Uh, There's fam- a family of insecticides that this... Uh, it's
4: neonicotinoids, isn't it? Uh, yeah, neonicotinoid.
0: yes. You say that so well. <laughs> <laughs> neonicotinoids, I like that. Inse- uh, which is an insecticide. There's a whole family of them which are banned by the EU. Um, this is an interesting thing, isn't it? Whether, whether or not we will uh, be in a position whereby uh, come, uh, you know, when we leave the EU... We're going to. well. Aha, well yeah, let, let's assume that we will at the moment, because we're going to have to renegotiate all these kinds of things, aren't mm. we? It's one of the things that's going to have to happen, um, whether whether or not we will carry on doing this kind of thing. Anyway, let's go back to this story. The effects of the insecticide um, are pretty uh, devastating, and. Um, uh, someone has said a uh, uh, doctor Gemma Barron said we consistently found that exposure to uh, these uh, insecticides at levels mimicking exposure that the queens could experience uh, in agricultural landscapes resulted in reduced ovary development in the queen. In other words, it's killing off bees. Mm.
1: Yeah. yeah sophie i'm gonna ask you a question it's okay if you don't know mm-hmm. um, but you just talked about the the importance of the killer whales in 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 the kind of ecosystem of the yeah. seas and the bees hold a particularly important yeah position so
4: bees bees are very special because they're they're very humble in a way um and you, they sort of buzz around doing their own thing but they're so important in maintaining everything they're so important for you know, the food that we eat on our table every night, the bees have had a huge role in making that happen. Mm. And so the fact that they're, that, you know, they're, they're suffering as a consequence of our doing is is really sad. But, I mean, it, there are positive things happening, um, ag- sort of, to research on neonicotinoids and their effects. Um, for example, there's research that happened last year at the University of Bristol looking at um, essential oils, And using them as opposed to sort of the traditional pesticides, they found that they had very kind of uh, sort of a much um, lower impact on the environment. Okay. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's a huge, it's another huge issue that needs to sort of be looked into. Um, Yeah.
1: yeah. There's another question though. It needs to be looked into. Is why are they called essential oils?
4: Essential.
1: <laughs> They're extremely essential.
4: They're <laughs> <laughs> the
1: essential
4: waitress, right? Life would
0: life would probably cease without them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's, uh,
0: that's what we know. Um, and uh, well, let's just let's just go back because we're, we're rapidly coming to the end of, of the show. I just uh, I just need a, a pint of science, please. Uh, so so uh, Jamie uh, and, and Rachel, just t- just tell us um, what. Uh, uh, how we, how we uh, sign up for uh, the the thing that we were talking about earlier and I've got it here, Saving the Generation.
2: Yes, so, so um, actually that. tomorrow night, so Tuesday the 9th of May, we have a Pint of Science launch um, which will be happening in the Green Bank pub in Easton. Um, and we'll be selling tickets there. So if you wanted to pop in and see some art created by scientists and artists working together, um, you can come and see that, buy some tickets, and maybe buy some prints if you're interested. And if you, if you can't get in tomorrow, you can find the tickets online, pintofscience.co.uk, uh, under the um, tab for Bristol. And the talk for Saving a Generation is next Monday night.
0: Fantastic, thank you. And Sophie, remind us again how we can uh, find you on your tour of uh, Cornwall.
4: Um, Probably the easiest way is just to type in Sophie's Wild Cornwall into Google or on Facebook and then it pops up with the public Facebook page and then from there you've got the links to all the other social media bits involved
0: fantastic well that's brilliant well thanks very much for helping us with the science news and with telling us uh, your stories and what what you're up to um now um i have to say john ford has escaped from his minders he's got into the studio and um i dread to think what what are you going to remind us that we haven't covered this week
5: What you haven't covered is (laughs) the devastating news from Australia this week. Well, it came out today, actually, if you saw this, that um, the Australian authorities impounded some um, uh, rare plants that were sent over from France on loan. I don't know if you've ever been to Australia, but you haven't got the right paperwork for anything living. It gets destroyed. So they destroyed it. No! No. It's on on the stories online. Have a a look on the science pages. no, no. Uh, And did the Australian authorities care? No.
0: Was it accompanied, when there was some poor soul with these things?
5: Uh, I'm, I I'm not sure.
0: You can you imagine the, the distress again? No, no, no,
5: don't. Because yeah. <laughs> course, the Fr- French were very upset. Maybe their new president will sort it out for them. Oh, I yeah. Didn't. Of course, yes. uh, this day in 1980, <laughs> the World Health Organization announced that something had been eradicated. Anyone know? Anyone guess? Mm. Smallpox. Ah, this day in the yes. It's not been good seen thing. since
0: I have it? a feeling there is somewhere in the world There's a file of smallpox left isn't there well, Just so that we can study it I think it. the World
2: Health Organisation yeah. might be the people that have it oh, um, yes. They've, they've well, got it But they're
0: keeping,
5: it, keeping <laughs> it quiet Just where in it is. case we ever need yeah. another
2: vaccine in the future It's yeah, good exactly. to have some
5: yeah, which, away somewhere. which can always happen yeah. Yeah. More science stuff that happened on this day Back in time 1840 Alexander Wolcott Anyone know who he was? Uh, he painted the uh, the photographic process this day.
0: Oh.
5: Ah. Uh, where would we be without him? I should
0: explain, John loves coming in
5: and pointing out what we haven't covered. Yeah. <laughs> Robert <laughs> Thompson. <laughs> anyone know him? Yes. Oh, good. What did he paint on this day in 1847? No idea.
0: It was, it, 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 Thompson was a...
5: Uh, well, sorry, go on. Well, we wouldn't have got here today without him. The rubber tyre. Ah. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and some local stuff. This is kind of sciency, sort of parachuting. Um, do you remember Sarah Ann Henley, uh, Bristol connection? Anyone know what Sarah Ann Henley was famous for surviving this day in eighteen eighty-five? She did fall out of a balloon, or something. No, she <coughs> fell out. Of, sort of, <laughs> fell off of something. Actually, jumped off of something. Uh, the suspension bridge. Ah, uh, and famous lady and that it, floated down with so because she had the big long skirts on. Do you know? I have
0: always wondered if that story is true. I think it is. And it, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, there you uh, are. You're just confirming yeah, it. So her
2: skirt acted like a parachute. Yes, sheet. it is. Yes, 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 that's yes that's it is. That's unbelievable. <laughs>
0: yeah. And she kind of landed, uh, landed in the mud. I See, think. with that, uh, these days, fashion, there's no. Yeah, chance. it wouldn't
4: work with you, a mini skirt. You'd off uh, <laughs>
5: with holes in so, <laughs> yeah. No, it wouldn't. It just Very wouldn't It would be, the <laughs> yeah, be
4: a good pencil dive in. <laughs> yeah.
5: And finally, 1899, Ernest Rutherford. Now, you must know who he is. I do, yes, yes. What did he discover on this day?
0: Physics man. Was so, so the atom. The atom. Two kinds of. One
5: was alpha, one was beta. Oh, radiation. Yes,
0: absolutely. Oh, very good. Well, look, do stay tuned for John, who's going to do his proper job in a bit, which is getting Bristol home. It's uh, been uh, great having uh, Jamie, Rachel and Sophie with us from Andrew and Me. It's been good to have you. Join us again next week.